I'm Stephanie Howe, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Sheila Akbar, the president and COO of Signet Education. This is an awesome conversation about addressing the challenges of getting into college. Everything from creating a decision-making process to the pressures to make good choices. You are going to absolutely love this talk. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you uh, left a review for the uh, the podcast. You can do this by going to the many different platforms I'm on, or you can just go to my website at stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review there. Thanks for doing that. And by the way, do you know someone who hasn't listened to Teaching Learning Leading K-12? Hmm? <laughs> well, it'd be so cool if you reached out to them, whether they're a family member, a friend, a colleague, and just said, hey, have you listened to Teaching Learning Leading K-12? Well, you should. And here's the link. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. It's the education podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Sheila Akbar joined the Signet team in the summer of 2010, bringing with her a wealth of experience teaching SAT, ACT, GRE, literature, and composition in both one-on-one and classroom settings. Sheila loves both teaching and learning and finds nothing more rewarding than working closely with students to overcome the challenges they face. After graduating from Harvard in 2002, Sheila spent two years working in financial services before continuing her academic career, which culminated into two doctorates. She brings her significant business and academic experience to bear on her current role at Signet. Her skills include speaking to every client to craft a tailored solution for their needs, managing the administrative team, and providing educational thought leadership for the company. Sheila holds a bachelor's degree and master's degree from Harvard University and two doctoral degrees from Indiana University. Sheila, thanks for joining me today. Great to have you on the show and say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. Thanks, Stephen, for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on. And uh, uh, Sheila, I, I got to ask you this. All right. How did you go from being a pre-med, a Harvard pre-med to a scholar of early modern love poetry to an educational entrepreneur? Because that's an interesting shift that happens right there. It's an interesting trajectory. And I feel like if I had an easy answer, I could like finally satisfy my parents. They're still wondering about <laughs> all of this. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, and I think that actually has a lot to do with this sort of windy path that I've taken. Um, it, it is kind of a long story, but I'm going to do my best to condense it for you. Um, basically, I, I grew up in a small town in Michigan, um, raised in a family of immigrants where education was the thing that mattered. They didn't really care about anything else going on in my life as long as my grades were perfect. Um, and there were really clear expectations that I would become a doctor. My father is a doctor. My older brother is a doctor. It was just the path. No pressure there. And, um, you know, I think it's a it's a beautiful profession. I have always loved math and science. So I was like, yeah, this works for me. I can do this. I know they're kind of forcing me, but I also have my own reasons. Um, and then, you know, I, I pursued that path to the best of my ability. And then at some point in college, I was like, maybe I should listen to that little voice that's telling me this is not what you really want to do with your life. Um, 
thankfully I listened to that voice before I took the MCAT. Um, but, um, you know, not quickly enough that I, you know, hadn't already done all of my pre-med requirements and then done all that stuff. Um, but the problem at that point was when I decided to listen to myself and admit medicine was not for me, I really had no idea what was for me or how to go about figuring that out. Um, and this was at a time where Wall Street was just hungry for like bodies. They didn't care what you studied, what your grades were. They just wanted Ivy League people. Um, and I kind of got caught up in that with, I don't know, 70% of my graduating class. So I went to work on Wall Street, very quickly realized it was not fulfilling to me, um, and uh, then fell again into this period of, like, what do I do? How do I figure this out? Um, and all the while, I had been studying poetry um, because it was something that I enjoyed as a, as a high schooler. Um, I actually still have the book on my desk here. You know, nice. listeners, you can't see it, but I'm holding it up. Um, this is the book somebody gave me when I was 16, and it changed sort of the trajectory of my life. Um, and while I was sort of struggling with this question of what do I want to do with myself, I just kept going back to poetry and, you know, finding a lot of solace there, finding um, prompts for reflection in that poetry. And then one day the light bulb went off. Oh, maybe I should study poetry. This is the thing that has been with me the whole time. I keep coming back to it. Um, so after a few sort of missteps into maybe architecture grad school or film school or, you know, lots of different things that I thought about doing, I decided to go back into academia and, and work on poetry. Um, and while I was pursuing that course, which was a, a long road, um, I needed to pay some bills and grad school does not pay very well. So I started tutoring on the side. Um, you know, I had family friends approaching me to work with their kids on the SAT or on their college applications because they had seen that I had been successful in those areas. Um, and then I started working with Kaplan and a couple of other, you know, tutoring companies. Um, and then in uh, 2010, I, I moved back to Boston to write my dissertation using the wonderful libraries at Harvard. Um, and my friend Jay, who's a friend of mine from college, had already started Signet uh, five years earlier. And I just was like, all right, I'm going to work with you now. And it you know, has become a wonderful partnership. He's such a good friend. Um, and I went from being a tutor to designing our curricula, to training other tutors, to hiring all of our tutors, um, to you know, expanding our business into different areas. Um, and so my role has just continued to sort of snowball there. And now, now I run the show. You know, Jay's still very much involved and we're very much partners. But um, you know, it's pretty clear that I'm in charge. <laughs> which I like. Um, and so that's kind of the journey. And, and looking back now, I don't, I don't see a series of failures or a series of um, existential crises, which is how it felt at the time. Now I see that I'm able to draw on all the skills and the networks that I built through trying all of those things. And now I've found the thing that really does kind of push all the buttons and, and um, really make me light up. That's cool. And, and yeah, I wouldn't see it as failure either because I think it's what we do as human beings the best is when we are able to figure out what it is that really makes the 
the lights go on. You know, the, the whole yeah. thing where you kind of go, Hey, that's what, that's, that's, that's really what I want to do. And that's cool. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. Right. And I went through this journey of thinking that I had failed and, you know, my parents being very stressed out, like what's going to happen. Um, but, um, now I see it as, Oh, this is actually the process. This is how you find what you love. You've got to try a lot of things. You've got to be unafraid of quote unquote failure and you've got to push through and, and seek those things that are meaningful to you. And then it will, kind of all come together that's cool that's that's so cool thanks for sharing that because it i think that's i think that's what's you know one of the things that's really neat about that story is that we can figure things out as we're doing it you know it's mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like building the plane <laughs> while it's flying yeah, while it's flying, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think that's, exactly it's cool so awesome uh sheila now let's talk about signet education what's sure. its purpose and What's its why? What's it exist for? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad you asked me the story about kind of how I got to where I am, because that really is the purpose of Signet, too. Um, And I think it's why, um, you know, my role at Signet has grown over the years. Jay and I have very similar stories um, in in that he, I think, went to Harvard as a physics major and came out with a degree in comparative religion and then became a serial entrepreneur. Um, So that experience, that lived experience really influences everything we do at Signet. We really see our mission as helping teenagers find their own path, right? And we support them with, um, you know, the reflection skills, uh, a partner, um, and then, of course, the the knowledge, the, the other services that might be needed along that path. But the first thing we got to do is help them figure out what what is it that you want to do and what's your vision, what's meaningful to you and where might that lead you? And then how do you experiment with that to figure out if that's right? So it's um, kind of a mix of everything. Uh, we call it just mentorship, but it does come in different flavors. So we do test preparation and academic tutoring. We do uh, college admissions, counseling, graduate graduate admissions counseling. Um, there's a little career counseling um, mixed in there, but I wouldn't say that's you know one of our specialties. Um, but the, the thing that really ties it all together is a service that we call academic coaching. And that's really where we get to work with students on figuring out their vision for the future, what might be standing in the way of that, um, and how they want to make incremental changes to get closer to that um, inspiring vision of, of the life they want to lead. That is really cool. I appreciate you taking time to explain all that. And uh, it's awesome. So uh, this is cool. So we, we fit well. We got uh, we got a good conversation going here because I've got a lot of listeners that are uh, looking for assistance and help and thoughts about what, oh, yeah. what they do at next level. So and how to get sure. to that next level. So cool stuff. So let me just start. I mean, what's the secret to getting into the college of your dreams? I mean, what would you talk with somebody about? <laughs> well, I think we have to start by defining all of those terms, right? And and one of the most important one of those terms is the you in that, right? Like nice. who is the student that we're talking about and what is specific to them that we need to keep in mind, right? Um, and then once you understand what the student needs and wants, you can start thinking about colleges that might meet those needs and, and uh, desires. Um, and then you can start thinking about like, okay, what's the secret now? How do we tell your story so that the college really understands you are exactly what they're looking for and they are exactly what you're looking for. Um, so if I had to kind of boil down a, a, it to a secret, it's really about authenticity. And I know people are so tired of hearing, oh, just be yourself, you'll be fine. And it's not just, you know, go in with your best instincts, but it is really about um, being true to yourself, right? Not trying to speak like you think 
a Princeton student is going to speak or not trying to say you're interested in things that you think a Georgia Tech student would be interested in if you're not truly interested in those things. You know, it really starts with you knowing what's meaningful to you and interesting to you and then looking for those resources and opportunities at the colleges. So um, I don't know if any of your listeners are old enough to remember G.I. Joe, but G.I. Joe always ended uh, ended the cartoon with a, a little snippet about how knowing is half the battle. Um, I really feel like in the college process, that is so true. Knowing yourself, knowing what the college has to offer and deciding on which colleges to apply to first, that's actually half the battle. If you get that match right and you can articulate why you're a fit with this college and vice versa, you're going to be more successful, um, not only in the application process, but in the college and in whatever comes after college. Um, So that's where we really spend a lot of time with students. Um, A lot of families think they can show up, you know, September or October of senior year and say, okay, we're ready to start the college process. And yes, true. We can write essays. You can fill out the forms. You know, you can get that done. But it's much more valuable to start with a student earlier, maybe sophomore year, the beginning of junior year, to really dig into those, um, you know, important, almost intangible things of, you know, what's meaningful to you? Why do you like being on the yearbook? Or why do you have the friends that you have? And what does that say about your values? And how can we seek that out in the kind of college environment that you will eventually apply to? Um, And that work takes time because teenagers are usually never asked for their thoughts um, and certainly not on those things. Um, So it takes a while to build that muscle. That's awesome. That's awesome. And by the way, it's also awesome that you use G.I. Joe as a reference. So I love that. Because <laughs> I remember. I re- very rarely will I turn to military metaphors, but G.I. Joe. Well, that was awesome. Handy. Because it, I remember that at the end of those shows, you know, they, they make this, um, you know, th- th- this reference and make a, you know, some sort of analogy to whatever there was going on in the right. story there. That was awesome. I, lo- <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, very cool. So, so let's talk about, you know, what you just talked about. Be- and connect it with the idea of getting teenagers to develop a vision for the future. I mean, could you mm-hmm. kind of talk about this? Because I understand, <laughs> you know, I'm the father of um, two sons who are both engineers now and gone to okay. universities and um, working in a job and they're these engineers. I'm the, I'm the history person. That would be my yeah. wife's influence, who is the math person right there, okay. as they are so often. To remind me, um, yeah. as <laughs> from time to time, I say things like, "Hey, you know, I, I can help you with math." Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, my my point is is that uh, um, having gone through those stages, you know, and they're they're looking at different things, and uh, and uh, you know, they got friends talking to them, and then and they and they run into some kids who have no clue whatsoever, and even they went to college with them, you know. Yeah. Who, have no clue whatsoever and, uh, you know, graduate and still not thinking about it. And so it's important to develop that vision for the future. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I think it's just so crucial. I think especially in today's society, we have this hyper focus on getting into a quote unquote good college as if that alone is going to set the stage for that person's success in life, how happy they are, what kind of relationships they're going to enter into in their life. It has nothing to do with those things, right? 
that kind of life success is so much bigger than just where you go to college, right? And you'll meet people who go to the, you know, quote unquote, best colleges who are miserable and people who maybe never even went to college who have this beautiful, fulfilling life, right? Um, so it really has very little to do with college. I think it has everything to do with your mindset. And um, that hyper focus on, okay, to get into this college, I have to take this many AP classes and lead this many clubs and, you know, check all these boxes, robs a growing, developing human of the opportunity to think for themselves and learn how to solve problems for themselves and decide what they want and really just take ownership over their life, right? We're seeing this sort of crisis of, you know, mental health, um, you know, people um, not being satisfied with what's out there in terms of job opportunities or, or whatever. Um, but also parents keep telling me like, when is my kid going to be independent? Right. And, and these things are, it's not for me, it's not a coincidence that they are all kind of coming to a head at the same time. Um, because as parents, of course, we want to protect our kids and, and set them up for success and do as much as we can for them. But if we do too much, we, um, we kind of almost, and I'm not a psychologist, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but it's almost like you're stunting their growth. If your child never experiences disappointment or struggle or, you know, any of those, those things that are hard, they never have to work hard for something. Well, it's going to be hard for them to face that reality of being an independent adult where, you know, life is hard and there's struggle all around. Um, if, if they're never asked to think for themselves, then, you know, when they're off in college and they're presented with a situation, whether it's an academic situation or a social situation, can you really trust them to make their own decisions? you know, you're going to have to, but did you give them a chance to practice this when it was safe to practice it before? Um, so I, I think a lot of that is, is um, I forget where I was going, but you get my point that, oh, yeah. that we have to allow children to start to develop these skills while they're still at home, because we can't expect them to just figure it out or not figure it out later on, right? right? Um, so um, in terms of developing a vision for their future, you know, teenagers are at a developmental stage where like lots of things are very interesting and their minds are gonna change all the time. You know, one day they wanna be a veterinarian and the next day they wanna be a, you know, movie star, right? Two totally unrelated things. Um, and that's fine, actually. We have to embrace that. And one of the things I tell parents a lot, and I have to say, teenagers are very excited about doing this work with someone who is not their parent. It's more the parents that need to be, believe like, okay, it's okay for them to explore some stuff and have a mentor who's going to be a guardrail for them. But one of the things I always tell parents is, you know, I get them to reflect on their own story, which is usually something like mine, where we try a bunch of different things until we find the thing we fall into. Um, and they see it is not a linear path. And then I ask them, well, why do you expect your son or daughter or whatever to go on a linear path themselves? Right. The world has only gotten more complicated oh, you <laughs> since, right. you know, their generation <laughs> went to college and went to work. There's so many new possibilities. Um, of course, it's not going to be a linear path. Right. And, and the key is you have to allow your teenager to figure out that path for themselves. You can support them. You can guide them. You can be a sounding board, but you cannot define that path for them and you can't walk it for them.
right? So that's the note to parents. But in terms of actually working with teenagers to develop a vision for their future, you know, sometimes very hard. I think even for me at, you know, 45 years old, it's very hard for me to think about, okay, what is my life going to look like in 10 years, right? Um, for a teenager, it's that much harder, right? They have no idea what adult life looks like. They don't know what college looks like. They don't know what career looks like. Um, so often we start small. It might be in the next semester, what do you want to see happen? What do you want to avoid happening, right? And oftentimes we're working with students who have um, learning differences or maybe executive function challenges. So it might be something simple like, I wanna make it to school on time every day for the next semester, or I don't wanna miss a single assignment. I don't wanna turn a single assignment in late all next semester. Right. And it's got to be something motivating to them. Those, those things may not be that motivating to them. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of work to figure out, OK, what do you think about your life right now? Where are you dissatisfied? Where could things be better? And let's choose one of those areas to focus on and make some small changes and help you see that if you focus on something, you can affect change in your own life. And that's going to be kind of the start of a snowball effect if we can take on harder things and we can get to those other places. And, you know, a student's performance in school is not separate from their feelings about their life or their friends or how much sleep they're getting or how well they're eating, you know, things like that. So we don't pretend that um, their academic performance is happening in a vacuum. And I think acknowledging that for a teenager and asking them, what do you wish were different? Um, you know, things that we actually can change um, is very empowering for them. And then they get a taste of, oh wait, I, I get to decide what I wanna do with this time. I get to decide what my life is gonna look like. And then we can start to build that out. Okay, in the next year, what do you wanna avoid or what do you wanna change or what do you wanna achieve? Um, the next, three years, like if, if we're working with a sophomore, what do we want to say? What do you want to be able to say when you look back at your high school years? What do you want to remember most? What don't you want to miss out on? You know, what don't you want to regret? Um, and then we can think, we can start to think about college and career. So it's, it's a small, it starts small, but it snowballs from there. That's, that's so cool. Um, Cause you know, I, I think about things that, you know, I really wish I had had somebody who <laughs> kind of given me some guidance because um, and I got some from my parents and kudos to them because they had this whole focus on, uh, you know, basically they weren't focused on me becoming a doctor. They were focused on me. You're going to college. I mean, that's, so I, oh. I had that from, you know, very beginning stages of, you know, once I started understanding what they're talking about and, but cause they had both gone to, they had not gone to four year institutions. They had gone to, uh, got, you know, my father had gotten, different types of completions of certificates and licensures from um, what are called at that time were called community colleges. And mm -hmm. my, uh, my mother had got, uh, was an RN. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so she'd gone to like a two year nursing school or something like that. And, uh, and the point is though, is that, so they really didn't know how to think about it, but, and they got divorced. And so I got these mess, these messages from two different sides of the County. Uh. And uh, what's, what's interesting about it is that I, I say this because at some point I thought, I'd like to be a veterinarian. 
And so uh, <laughs> my dad got me a summer job with a friend of his who was a veterinarian. And so I, I got, by the way, it was unpaid. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I call it a job. But I, I discovered something about the thought about being a veterinarian. The, the pets die sometimes. <laughs> and I went, oh, dude, man, I can't do this. I got, uh, you know, this is, I cry at Dumbo and I cry at Bambi. Yeah. And so I get, ay, ay, ay. And, and, uh, and, and a couple happened that summer because I was the, guy cleaned up things and stuff like this. Oh and my goodness. Yeah, yeah. That taught me a huge lesson. And, and and at one point I thought I wanted to be, I love superhero comics, especially Spider-Man and Batman. And, and I'm like, this is awesome. And, uh, and I'm going to be a cartoon artist. Right. And I was, I was working on all this sort of stuff, but I didn't want to take, you know, listen, you know, take classes and listen to other people. No, man, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that went the, the other direction, but uh, it was fun thinking about it at the time. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, and, and then somewhere in the back of my mind, it was always, by the way, this is this is my f- fandom for G.I. Joe. I'm a former officer in the Army, and that's one of my okay. goals was to become an Army officer. Okay. And uh, But it started off as an Air Force officer. And, and this is where I, I tell this part of the story because what I wanted to do was I was thinking I want to fly jets in the Air Force and um, went to air shows and all kinds of stuff like this. And then someone said to me, Steve, you don't like roller coasters, do you? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got a point there. Yeah. And, and so the, the officer thing became, becomes in the Army, Army ground, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but I, I say all that because, you know, I had friends who never in a million years had any thoughts or changes to what they were doing. That's why I love what you did. It's like, you know, it's like this, there's, there's different th- ideas. And then, and, uh, and of course there's different voices that come to you too. And I don't mean made up voices. I mean, the voices of relatives, voices of best friends, voices of, you know, uh, parents um, and stuff like this, or even siblings who go, what are you nuts? <laughs> you know, so, yeah. um, so anyway, that's, uh, thanks for talking about that. Cause that's, that's so cool. Yeah. One of the things that I, I got to talk about that uh, I think is uh, neat that I know that you, you can speak on is, and getting into college as well as throughout life, there's a need to understand how we navigate big decisions, and it's important to have some sort of values-based framework. Can you go into this just a little bit? Because I think a lot yeah. of times, you know, some people choose their life livelihood based upon, you know, like they do groceries. Ooh, I'd like that. Or, no, oh, no, 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 That's, that candy bar looks better, and I didn't even come here to buy the candy bar. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And before I answer that, I actually love that you share your story um, because it's it's such a great um, example of how it's important to think about the reality of <laughs> you know, the day-to-day of any of these jobs that you might want to be considering. And, you know, sometimes you're going to learn it by doing, like your internship or whatever it was at the vet's office, or um, you're going to realize it because of somebody else who has some, you know, other exposure to that field who can give you some insight into whether it would be a fit for you, like your friend who said you don't like roller coasters or reminded you that you didn't like roller coasters. So that's just so great. And I feel like those are the kinds of stories that we need to share with our kids more um, because otherwise they grow up thinking, oh, I have to have this all figured out and nobody's going to guide me. And my parents never struggled with this and they can't possibly understand. Right. But the thing is, we all know this. Right? We, we've all experienced some form of this. And the more we can share that and be vulnerable about it, I think the less pressure our teenagers will put on themselves because that's that's really um, hurting them right now. Um, so in terms of a, a decision 
framework. What we do at Signet, in addition to helping a student develop a meaningful vision for their future, we want to underpin that vision with certain personal values. And, you know, they're not my values. I don't have an agenda when I'm doing this with the student. I really want to understand what's meaningful to them. And then we'll show them how those values can help them make decisions about what classes to take what college to go to, whether to date this person or not, <laughs> um, you know, whether this job is going to be a fit for me or, or anything like that, right? And it usually starts with asking a student, like, what do they really care about? How do they really want to make sure they're spending their time? Um, and, you know, they might start by saying, oh, yeah, I care about my good grades and whatever. But then you really get down to it and they really care about their dog or they care about playing this particular video game because they have a group of friends that they play with that are just the most meaningful group of friends to them. They can talk to them about anything, you know, whatever. You start digging into that and you you get to say things like, oh, so like, you know, loyalty is something that's really important to you or caring for others is really important to you. And they've never thought about it that way. Um, but sometimes you just reflect it back to them and they're like, yeah, I guess so. Because, you know, this other thing happened and the role that I took in this situation was trying to take care of other people. That's my first priority, right? Um, so sometimes that works. Um, another thing that we do is we just give them a list of values, right? Like literally words on a page, hundreds of words. And we say, look at these and, um, you know, mark out anything that stands out to you that feels like a value you, you want to have. Um, and they might start with 10 or 12 and we're going to get them down to hopefully four or five. Um, but you know, I think the, the real value in that exercise is just getting them to reflect. Um, and then once you get there and you can get, um, you know, a crystallized set of values, then that really becomes something that they can rely on as they move forward. And those values may shift as they get more experienced or older, you know, certain things change. Um, but now they know how to define their values. They know that they can rely on their values to understand whether, um, you know, a certain decision or a certain job is, is a good fit for them. Um, and that sort of, you know, the teach a man to fish kind of thing they could take with them their whole life. Um, you know, a lot of companies have values um, and Signet, of course, has values as well. But we really use these as a decision framework. When we're hiring tutors, we go through our values and we say, tell me about a time that you lived up to this value or you demonstrated this value in your life. And if they can't think of anything, they're probably not a good fit for us and vice versa. We're not going to be a good fit for them. Um, so, you know, we use those values in our hiring, in our training, in our promoting. We even use those values when we're thinking about working with a client. Does this client understand that these are our values when we're working with their student, right? Um, and, and those values are you know, care deeply, collaborate, grow, uh, inspire confidence, and teach students, not subjects. There's nothing in there about a perfect score on the SAT or, you know, a 4.0 GPA. And a parent really has to understand that our number one priority is the sort of holistic health of this student, right? And we're not going to be qualified to solve all the problems that they may uh, be facing, but, you know, certainly we're going to introduce them to people because, you know, we think mental health is extremely important. We think physical health is extremely important. If we see they're struggling with these things and this is the reason we can't move this grade forward or we can't, um, you know, decide on a college or something, um, you know, we're going to let the family know. And if we have a sense when we're 
starting to talk to a family about possibly working with us, if we have a sense that they are not on board with those values, they're not going to let us live those values, then we will try to introduce them to somebody else that we think is a better fit for them. That's that's so cool because, you know, the, the, that decision-making is so important. And, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes they can get their hopes set on one thing. And, uh, you know, it, there's decision-makers on the other end. And, you know, it could be that you actually might even be a better fit for something else. I, mm-hmm. I one time was talking to people in an ACT program, and they were explaining to me about uh, some people, you know, they choose – somebody's implanted a, a reason why they choose something that their actual, you know th- – you know, their performance on different things kind of lend to, you know, it's kind of like wanting to be an accountant, but, but are your math being bad at math? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we, uh, yeah. And we do that all the time. We convince ourselves, this is the thing I want. I'm going to go do, I mean, like your dream of becoming an air force pilot, right? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> only until recently in the last bunch of years that I, uh, um, I started, my wife and I said, you know, I, I looked at her and I said, you know, our sons do this all the time. And we see, you know, like 12-year-olds on these roller coasters because we're members uh-huh. of a theme uh, a theme park that's up here in, in Georgia. And and it's like, uh, dadgummit, I'm going to overcome this fear. And so I, okay. and I rode this one called Goliath, which is this massive roller coaster that goes up and oh down and all through the park. And I was like, well, that was pretty good. I said, uh, uh, but it messed me up for the rest of the day kind of sort of yeah. thing. I was, I was yeah. kind of okay. But I, so the next time we went back, I said, all right, now it's time to try because I like comic books, right? So at that okay. theme park, they have Batman and Superman. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, let's start with Batman. And then after that, I came back and did Superman. And all of that was good. It's like now. At the age that I'm at now, now I start riding roller coasters. Good stuff. A little mm-hmm. late for that pilot thing. But, you know, back in those days, it's like, yes, that 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 was a good point. Because that was a friend who had uh, tried to, to get me to go on these roller coasters when we went to this park as family. So uh-huh. I was like, yeah, it ain't happening. So, but uh, it's it's funny how, you know, it, it is it is important to have thoughts about, you know, what it is you like, what you, is you don't like. And is this real or did somebody actually plant this seed in your brain that yeah. you really don't know why you're thinking about it? I, I love that yeah. because that that moves away from all kinds of stuff. Did, did you ever see a TV show called American Housewife? It it's not on anymore, but it was it had a, about a, like a five year run or something like that. And there was a there was a kid on the show who he was he was in high school and he's trying to make it. I, I think when the show first started. He was in uh, middle school and he's going into high school and he's all about trying to get accepted to Harvard. All right. So you're, your your place. Right. And he's, uh-huh. he's like, and what's cool is that there were a lot of stuff that they introduced that he said that actually is real mm-hmm. <laughs> about fa- families doing things like this. And mm-hmm. one of the things that he settled on was that he had to find something unique that um, other guys, his age bracket and so forth may not be thinking about. And so he, he started doing ballet. And, uh, oh, interesting. Because okay. he had a couple other things that were failed, and then a, um, it, it was just kind of interesting. And because you saw this process over these seasons, and it's it's interesting what you're talking about. So, um, by the way, we're not sponsored by the uh, company okay. that produced that show or anything like that. So I just thought I'd yeah. say that. Um, but it, it had me thinking about that because the character was – he literally was going after one thing after another after another and finally – Just trying all the unique things. I mean, that is true. You know, it's important to be able to stand out, but it should be with something authentic. And hopefully – that fictional character actually found a bunch of things that he liked that he never thought he would. What's cool is he did. He, he found that yeah. he was good at the help. He, 
because he needed a volunteer. You were talking about mm-hmm. stuff like that. So he, he had, he discovered that he was, he only started with the helpline because he was being very pragmatic about needing to do these stuff. And then he discovered he was good at it and, as yeah. well as the ballet. So it did happen. I, th- I thought that was cool of the writers to actually yeah, find yeah. something instead of just being <laughs> that way. But enough about that, because like I said, I'm not sponsored by these shows. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, but if anybody's from those, those, studios i'd be happy willing to consider a sponsorship exactly exactly sure Uh, the uh so let's talk a little bit about uh you know because we've mentioned about parents and parents have this pressure on them because they you know they really want their kid to do well and they they would hate for their kid to be you know um not to mention any companies, but the idea that they go off and they get do all this stuff just like kind of like your parents were probably a little freaked out when they're like what (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and how can we, you know, so they have this pressure that, you know, we want you to do well. We want you, how, how can we make, help you do well? And, and so some of them go a little too over the deep end <laughs> and, uh, um, and some of them don't even know what, where to start and do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what role can employers play in taking the pressure off of working parents? Sure. Yeah. And and I always like to answer this question with the first, I wish our government would play a bigger role in doing this um, because I think part of the problem stems from the way we think about education. Um, and it's not just in this country. It's, you know, just generally how we think about education as you got to know math, you need some history facts, you need to know how to write, but nobody ever te- teaches you like how to be a grown up, <laughs> how to think nice. for yourself, nice. you know, and some kids kind of pick it up. Uh, as they go through and, and, you know, other kids don't. Um, And there are just sort of life skills and organizational skills and reflection skills that I think could be easily integrated into um, some of the curriculum that we have. Um, But, you know, that's a whole other can of worms. Um, When it comes to employers, you know, especially uh, with, you know, the great resignation or reshuffle, however you want to call it, that's happened with COVID, um, employers are always looking for ways to attract and retain really good talent. Um, And working parents um, have skills that are different from people without children, right? We we know how to multitask. We know how to think ahead. We um, can be creative under serious restraints, Um, you know, Nothing like um, having to parent a child through a pandemic to make you uh, the ultimate problem solver, right? Um, So um, what I talk with employers about a lot is expanding the way they support their working parents from just providing subsidized childcare to things that can help parents as their kids get older, because the job doesn't end when your kid starts kindergarten. Um, you know, maybe uh, the the private daycare or preschool stops and you can take advantage of, of public school systems, but there's still a lot that working parents have to, um, have to balance. And if something is stressing them out about their child's mental health, their performance in school, Uh, behavioral problems, you know that they're not going to be fully present at work. And beyond that, I also always tell employers this, when we look at our website, you know, traffic, the vast majority of that traffic is happening between the hours of nine to five on Eastern, Eastern time where we are located and from a desktop computer. So that's not happening on a lunch break or a smoke break or, you know, whatever that's happening while they are sitting at their desk. We're supposedly doing work. And, um, 
that just shows you that, you know, there is, there is no way to separate these things. If, if a, if a parent has a child with a problem, that's going to take priority in their life, whatever their job is. So one of the things that we suggest to employers is um, having mental health support available, not just for the parents, but for the kids through whatever programs the employer offers, but also having some sort of educational guidance mixed in there, right? Whether it's access to an expert like me, um, a resource list of helpful um, blogs or books or what have you. Um, I know many companies have actually contracted with places that offer college consulting. Um, and so there are a variety of ways that employers can can um, help their parents navigate all of these challenges. Um, and I think it's really um, a very interesting and progressive way to think about how we can move forward as a society after this huge traumatic event. And, and I say after, it's of course not completely over, um, but we really need to think about taking care of people in a different way. Um, and um, education, I think, has always um, sort of been in the background. You feel like oh, someone else is taking care of that, but we see more and more that it is the main concern of parents, um, uh, you know, who are working and they're, they're just trying to balance all of these things. It's, it, it's so interesting and powerful because, you know, it, it's funny. I tell my wife all the time that uh, I now understand, uh, you know, what my dad was worried about when, you know, you take off because in those days when I took off to go back to school, he didn't know where I was going. There's no way of tracking yeah. me. I mean, some of these parents today, they have apps that tell them where the phone's going, you know, and it's, yeah. it's so they think that's where their kid's going, although the kid may have left the phone with a friend, you know, or something uh -huh. like that. Uh -huh. But the, you know, the, they're sneaky. Yeah. They, yeah. Oh yeah. And, but the, the, the point is, is that, uh, you know, you, you hope that at some point the worry goes, well, it doesn't, <laughs> what, what happens? You just have different stages. And, yeah. and so, yeah. and it's interesting because it's the same thing with, with, uh, when children are thinking about what they're going to choose and what they're going to work on and what decisions they're going to make, you know, some of them think that it comes to an end at some point. It doesn't. <laughs> doesn't either and you, you kind of you, you connected with all that and so it's important to have uh, you know thoughts about uh, having made these decisions because if it turns out that you need to change you know okay I'm going this way but now I'm going to go that way and um, that uh, you're okay with it because you've got some skills and understanding how to navigate and stuff like this I think mm -hmm. that's cool yeah and you know uh, beyond just having support for the children and doing those things I think supporting parents around that is really important too actually we're really great friends with uh, a company that's based in Georgia called Impact Parents and they are a parent coaching company and the work they do is amazing um, really helping parents become what they say is champions for their children as opposed to coordinators or directors, right? Um, and it's a really amazing journey that a parent can go on um, that, you know, really teaches you how to trust your child um, and how to, you know, set up a system so that you can trust your child to make those decisions, but also just bring some sanity into a parent's life and, and supports them. So that would be a place I would encourage people to check out too. It's um, impactparents.com. They're great. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, all right. So, you know, we talked about working parents, you know, one of the things that I got to do is that, uh, you know, there's some stuff going on about anxiety and so forth and depression among teens. I mean, mm -hmm. literally, I mean, uh, what do you think is happening in our schools that is leading to this epidemic of anxiety and depression among teens and especially girls? 
Yeah. Um, again, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not the expert on this, but I can tell you what I'm seeing from, from my work and um, the families that we work with, um, I think probably 60 to 70 percent of them are facing some kind of mental health crisis with their with their children right now. Um, so, you know, we've seen that grow just tremendously over the course of the pandemic, but also over the course of the last 12 years I've been with Signet you hear about it more and more. Um, and I think there are two main things that um, are contributing to this as it relates to academics. Um, and one is uncertainty, right? We've, we've just had this period of uncertainty that was unlike any other that this generation has ever seen where school was just canceled <laughs> and then school was remote. The people didn't know how to do that. And it, it was like, what is happening to grades? Right. And all, all of these people were like, okay, so I'm going to be, it's going to be pass fail for this year. And I didn't do any work. I didn't actually learn anything, but that's okay. Cause my grades are you know not going to be impacted by that. Um, but what about my extracurriculars? Like I love playing sports or I, you know, I, I was on track to, being uh, the president of this club and now that club no longer exists. Like, what do I do with that? Um, And a lot of people worried about what was the impact on their college applications. Um, But also there's this like worry of like, wait, I didn't learn any math last year. How am I supposed to go into AB calculus this year? I don't know this stuff. Right. Um, So there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think um, as humans, we tend to blame ourselves first before blaming a system or somebody else. And I think um, a lot of kids have internalized, oh, everybody else seems fine with this math, this year of math that we missed. So it must be me, right? Or I just have to work harder. And then they don't know how hard is hard enough. And so then they're just burning candle at both ends. They're not getting any rest. They're not doing anything that actually brings them joy and they're totally burnt out. So I think uncertainty is a big piece of it. Um, and then the other piece of it is comparison, which I was a, a little bit alluding to there. Um, they see either their peers in their immediate circle being fine with some things that they're not fine with, or they hear about, you know, that kid who got into all of the Ivy league schools or that person who started an NGO or this person who started a business and, you know, sold it for however many millions of dollars before they even graduated high school. You know, I always tell people there is a reason you're hearing about it because it is so rare right? It was such a big deal and so rare that newspapers felt they had to cover it, right? Or, or news outlets felt they had to cover it. That is not the norm. That is absolutely not the norm. And um, giving students like an actual picture of what an average student looks like or baseline level of uh, achievement kind of looks like can really help them put things in perspective. Um, And it's one of the things that we're always trying to do with helping them develop a vision for their future. What that really is, is giving them permission to define success for themselves, right? Success is not an admission to this college or this GPA or this SAT score. It is a balanced life where you can live, I don't know, in Colorado in the mountains and do this thing that you love to do all the time. And it might have nothing to do with the career you have or how much money you make or what college you went to, right? And if we can keep them focused on that, then they have their own definition of success and they don't need to worry about what other people are doing, right? Well, that's one of the ways that we're trying to 
help students kind of find their footing with all of this. Um, and I think it's it's exacerbated with with women because there's so many more pressures telling them they're not good enough. You know, just any age woman is told that. However, I mean, hundreds of times a day by the images we see, by, um, you know, the way people talk to us, the fact that there is a wage gap, you know, all of these things, women are always told that they're not enough. Um, and, and that is certainly present for teenage girls as well. But then there are academic things as well. You know, a lot of girls grow up believing girls don't do math or computer science or engineering. And that is a persistent myth um, that can really hurt a girl's self-esteem, especially if she really likes those things or sees herself as talented in those areas. Um, So there's a lot that's just sort of systemic in the language, in the water um, of our society that um, is very hard for teenage girls to bolster themselves against because it's just so ubiquitous. That's a great talk right there. That's, uh, um, you know, it's interesting because, and, and to me, it all kind of, kind of comes down to, because first of all, there's, a, there's all this stuff with social media where we're more connected than ever before, but we're also really not really connected to those people. Right. And, and so I just can't imagine being a teen right now walking around with a, a phone and thinking that you got to respond to all these things that are going on. And then, you know, in the end, are these people really in your world? And especially, you know, some of the, some of those platforms, uh, people lie about their status and things like this. And oh, so, of course. Yeah. And it's that, all curated. It's not real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I just, and so those types of pressures and then on top of that, the idea that, you know, um, you know, we'll just kind of go back to uh, <laughs> what I said about, you know, when I wanted to be a comic book artist, all right? You know, and today, if I said that, um, people immediately probably start thinking about the movies and things like this. And, mm-hmm. you know, in those days, you know, there may have been one or two superhero movies, but they really stayed away from them because they couldn't make the special effects work. <laughs> right. And so nobody's thinking, oh, you're going to go into special effects. So they're thinking about the, the comic book themselves. Well, you know, what we found out a bunch of years later when the the owner of uh, Marvel Comics, you know, had uh, made all these deals with these movie companies was that he was actually, you know, the company was almost dead and buried and mm-hmm. uh, financially and all kinds of stuff. And they saved him. And, you know, it's funny because lots of people in those days, when I said that, they said, they don't make much money, do they? <laughs> that was the first thing they said to me. And it's yeah. like, dude, it's just cool, you know? And it's like, and yeah, that, and. No, I feel you. My husband's an artist. Nice. Um, and, and he grew up, lo- I mean, we have comic book art all over our house because he grew up loving very specific comic book artists. Um, and yeah, I think he was told that a lot too. And so he, he actually ended up working in film for a very long time because like cool. that's where there was more money. Um, and only recently at 43 years old did he decide to go back to school and do an MFA and, and actually study art, the art that he was really passionate about. So I, I commend him for that because that was a big pivot. But um, it's it's really hard to follow your dreams. It's really hard. It is. And I, I can see how that pressure would be on you from all kinds of different voices today where, mm-hmm. you know, at least I had the relatives and the friend voices and, you know, and a, a few other places. But, you know, today, my goodness, man, if they, they could be talking online on and someone who they never in a million years, they don't even know if that person's real. You know, it could be yeah. a bot for all they know that someone's created. Yeah. And, 
Anyway, just uh, I appreciate you talking about that. I, uh, any thoughts about supporting teens about around mental health issues that uh, come from the academics and the academic pressures? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think everybody should have a therapist, whether you feel like you have a mental health issue or not. I think therapy is really wonderful and amazing. Um, so, you know, beyond actually getting support from a mental health professional, um, I think there's a lot that um, people can do to help students feel more successful. Um, and, and for us at Signet, it starts with helping them create a definition of success for themselves, right? It may not be an A in every class. You know, maybe some classes you're just aiming for the B or the B plus, and that's fine, right? Given whatever your goals are. Um, so taking a realistic view on what's achievable, right? Really understanding what kind of workload you're going to have and having a good system for managing that workload um, can go, you know, tremendous lengths to helping a student feel calm and like they have it under control. Um, we do a lot of um, executive function support. So helping students manage their time more effectively, um, set priorities, take big assignments or tests and break them into smaller kind of manageable pieces so you can study a little at the time. Um, you know, one of the first things that we ever did in this sort of space, when we used to call this organizational coaching and study skills, is helping students understand what studying looks like. You know, for so many of them, it's like, I'm just going to highlight every line in this book. Exactly. Well, that's not actually studying, right? Um, and, and they don't know, um, I think I said this before, like, what is enough? How are you making sure that your studying is tailored exactly to the material, the class, the exam? Um, because if there is no end in sight, that can lead to this sort of hamster wheel and, and burnout. Um, so I think it's really about just getting clear about like, what are your priorities? What does success look like for you? And, and how do you fit all this in with, you know, the important things like sleep and social time and, you know, all of that um, that you really do need to literally survive. Um, so we try to just be a partner to the students and ask them like, you know, what are your goals and why are those your goals? And let's figure out how do we work backwards from those goals um, to where you are today and see what's actually doable and what's reasonable. Love it. That is so awesome. Sheila, it's been great talking to you today, but if someone wanted to learn more, where would you send them? I'd send them to our website at signeteducation.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Just look up Sheila Akbar. Um, I always share really great content there. And, um, you know, we have webinars that we do that talk about our approach. And we like to be as practical as possible, where we actually are showing people how to, you know, define values with their kids or work through a life wheel or give them those tools because we really want everyone to know this. Um, it's not just about us, you know, getting more clients. I think um, spreading this message is um, really important, especially right now. Very cool. Very cool. And so I'll have that information in the show notes. So it'll be easy to get either whether on a desktop, laptop, or mobile, because it's right mm -hmm. there and they can easily click on it and go there. So good stuff. I got two questions I want to ask you before we go. And they're questions I'd like to ask my guests. And the first one is, uh, Sheila, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, beyond working with students directly, I am managing a business that, you know, we just went through COVID and, you know, there are a lot of challenges that, that we face and we've just turned from a, um, 
you know, an in-person business to a fully remote business that that has its challenges as well. Um, for me, like I really believe in what we do. So I have a values based framework and I have a vision for my life that I'm always referencing to make sure, wait, am I, is this, is this something I really need to do? Um, you know, should I take this thing on or should I not? And for the company, we also have that. Actually, we have a vision document of like where we want to be in three years so we can stay really focused on what's important to us. Um, so for me, that's that's the biggest thing is like, okay, what are my values? Am I able to live those in my life? And it, is what I'm doing today taking me towards that life that I want to live? Very cool. I love it. Great advice. I, I, last mm -hmm. question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yeah, I had a couple of them. I had a couple of really, really great teachers. Um, the first one that comes to mind is my fifth grade science teacher, Mr. Corcoran at Ward Elementary in Newton, Massachusetts. And he was just like, the coolest teacher I had had up until that point. And he was cool not because like he wore a leather jacket or rode a motorcycle or anything like that. He was cool because he, um, he just cared and he was like a real person and he wasn't afraid to let us know, you know, he would mention his wife sometimes in, in uh, classes. And if he was teaching us about, I remember one, this one lesson he was teaching us about, um, the spectrum of light. And he did this really cool thing on the overhead projector because yes, I went to school that many years ago. We still had overhead projectors. <laughs> he did this really cool thing where he put some like slides on the light and a drop of liquid and it just made this beautiful light show. And he wasn't trying to tell us like, look at that spectrum and we're going to calculate this. He was just like, isn't that beautiful? Um, and he got us excited about science in a different way. Um, I, I really, I mean, I've told him this, um, but yeah, I just, I thank him so much. You just changed my relationship to education. That is so cool. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Sheila, it was mm -hmm. awesome talking with you today. I can't thank you enough for talking about Signet Education and the challenges that students and their families face in pursuing college and navigating, you know, life as a whole. Uh, wish you the best in all you do. Thank you so much, Sue. This was a lot of fun. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.